0: All right, so uh, yeah, so my name is Brandon, and uh, so I've been a member here for about two years now, Um, so a lot of that time is actually in the kids' ministry, so if you don't recognize me, that might be why. Um, But I did want to share with you about my family real quick, uh, if we could show a picture. Uh, So that is my family there. Uh, It's my wife, Catherine. Uh, We've been married for 12 years uh, this September. And then that's my daughter, Serenity. Uh, She just turned 11 earlier this month. Um, Unfortunately, they couldn't be here this morning, and I'll address that a little bit later on. Uh, But I just wanted to let you guys know who they were. Um, All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for you and just for your love and for your truth and just for all the many blessings that you've given us, Lord. Um, I thank you for this time and this opportunity uh, to share your word and your truth and your love and um, I just pray that you may uh, bless the congregation here and just uh, that your just spirit may feel us, feel the words uh, that come out of my mouth, and just uh, open our ears and our hearts to your truth and love that we may be uh, transformed in the ways that you transform us. Uh, Lord, we are just so grateful for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross so that we could even have this relationship now with you. And to your glory we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, so as Reggie mentioned, this is actually a passage that is kind of near and dear to my heart. So the way, uh, Ben first approached me about this back in like February, he's like, Hey, I need somebody to preach on July 28th. Can you do that? I'm like, yeah, I could do that. What's the passage? He's like, I don't know. Let's, let's go see. And so we looked it up and it's like, okay, it's first John chapter four verses one to six. So spoilers, that's where we're going. First John chapter four verses one to six, and um, and that's actually a passage that is, um, that has really impacted me in my life. Um, as I've, uh, during my Christian journey. Um, Now, so we're going to be starting chapter 4. So, right, we're going through 1 John, um, as we have been throughout the summer. We're going to be starting chapter 4, so I invite you to turn there. And so we're going to be looking at the first portion of chapter 4. And the first portion of this chapter is really going to focus on the theme of truth, on the truth of God. Now, anytime we talk about truth, though, let us never forget God's love for us. All right, so anytime we talk about the truth of God, let's never forget about God's love for us. Because God's love is the truth that we should be proclaiming to the ends of the earth, right? Specifically, the truth that Jesus, right, God became flesh, came to the world, died for our sins to restore our relationship with God, right? There is no greater demonstration of love and no greater declaration of truth than the gospel of Christ. All right, so with that in our mind, let us now uh, dig into the word here. And so again, that's 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 and 6, which states, <clears throat> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. All right, so as we read this passage, there's a few questions that come to mind. What is truth? How do we know truth? How do we determine what is true and what is not true? And these are big questions, questions that today's message will have us examine. And as we go through this text in 1 John, we're going to see that he really makes two main points. Right, the first point that he makes is a warning for us, a warning to not believe everything we hear. Right. And we kind of know that. Right. You don't believe everything that's on the Internet. Hopefully you don't. All Right, um, But that's John's warning for us. Don't believe every claim of truth. Rather, the second point, test the spirits, test that truth claim. See if that thing is so. See if that truth claim is actually true. All right. So those are our two points. So, again, it's a warning and then test to see if it's true. But before we really get into that, I want to address why this is important. Why does truth matter? And for me, in my personal journey, it was the pursuit of truth that drove me to Christ. It was the pursuit of truth that drove me to Christ. See, before I was converted, before I was a Christian, I was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormons. All right, so I joined the LDS Church when I was 21. I was baptized in the LDS Church shortly thereafter. Me and my wife were married in the LDS Church. We were sealed in the St. Louis Temple, which is a pretty big deal in uh, Mormon theology. Um, And we were pretty active and engaged in the LDS Church. Then when I was 25... I started to kind of question some of those truth claims that were spoken in the church. Um, Kind of my faith in the LDS church was kind of shaken a little bit. I'm not going to really get into all of that about what led up to that. That's kind of a whole other message. But long story short, I began to pray to God and asking God, God, what is your truth? And the more I prayed, the more I read scripture, and the more I asked God to open my eyes to reveal his truth the more I became aware that the truth of God was not in the Book of Mormon. It wasn't in the LDS church. And that scared me, right? Because like up to this point, my whole life, you know, all my, at least all my adult life has really been built on this foundation of the LDS church, right? And so I knew if I left the church, man, that was going to turn my family upside down, inside out. Like I didn't really know what was going to happen, And so then I had to ask myself, how important is truth? How important is it to pursue God's truth? Right? Was pursuing God's truth, embracing God's truth, worth sacrificing my life that I had with my family? How important is truth? So let me ask you, how important is truth to you? Imagine that you went to a hospital due to having some chest pains. How important would it be for you for the doctor to find the true cause behind, you know, behind those pains, right? Because the actions that we take are going to largely depend on that diagnosis, right? The doctor just comes back and says, you know, it's heartburn, right? It's just kind of gas buildup. You'll be fine. Here's some Tums, right? But if in reality, those are actually early signs of heart failure, Tums ain't going to do it, right? So a misdiagnosis could be fatal, truth matters. It's going to impact the decisions that we make, right? And sometimes it's a matter of life and death. And we see this with Adam and Eve, right? In the garden, God tells them, right? Do not eat this fruit. You will surely die, right? That's the truth claim that God has given them. Then a little later on, the serpent comes on through and the serpent gives them a differing truth claim, a claim that contradicted god telling adam and eve you will not die if you eat this in fact you will become like god a complete contradiction to god's word well which truth claim is adam and eve going to believe in which one do they act on well many of us know that you know they they ate the fruit and we are now living in the fallen world as a consequence of that action truth matters So since the fall, the world has exchanged the truth of God for a lie, right? The fallen world has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so throughout our lives, we're going to hear many different conflicting truth claims. And they're going to sound like wisdom. But many times, they're just lies of the world that's being disguised under this cloth of wisdom. And so John warns us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, in this passage, John is warning the church to not believe everything we hear. To not believe every truth claim that is presented to us. Because there are demonic spirits that roam the earth. Whispering lies into our hearts, much like serpent much like the serpent did with Adam and Eve. Right? There are people who claim to be from God, but in reality they are an enemy of God. Right? And Jesus gives us a very similar warning in Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying there are people who look like they're followers of Jesus, who act like they're followers of Jesus, who sound like they're followers of Jesus, and may perhaps even be convinced that they are followers of Jesus. But in reality, they are not. And they deceive people. They deceive people with a strayed doctrine, with a strayed truth, a false doctrine truth that is camouflaged as god's truth and as jesus points out they're in sheep's clothing they're going to look and act like the rest of christians but inwardly the ravenous wolves they're going to destroy the church that's their aim all right so that's the warning that john is john has us and that jesus had given before john all right this is a warning against false prophets false teachers false spirits and this warning isn't just for those in the past. This isn't a warning just for those in John's day or those in Jesus' day. Right? This is a concern from the time of Adam and Eve with the serpent. And it's going to be a concern until the return of Christ. Well, where are we on that timeline? Or right there in the middle of that. Right? So this is a concern for us. This is a warning for us today. Who do we listen to for wisdom and understanding? Who do we to as a source of truth, right? Because anyone who professes some truth claim to you is acting as a voice, as a prophet of that truth. So the question is, is their truth claim actually true? Well, how would you know? You know, how do we know the true teacher from the false teacher, right? How do we know the truth of God from a lie of the world? Well, that's actually going to take us now to our next point, right? Because what John tells us, he doesn't just warn us, but he tells us to test the spirits, right? He gives us a test, all right? So verses 2 through 6 in our passage is John kind of explaining out how we could then test these truth claims, right? And what we're going to see is he actually gives us two different assessments. He equips us with two different tests, all right? So again, our first point is a warning, which now drives into our test of how do we know what is true? How do we discern what is true? So the first test is what I call the test of Christ. The test of Christ. Listen to how John explains it. He says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. If someone is denying Christ, that should be a pretty big red flag that they are not from, you know, they're not speaking truth, right? Right? Because if a person or a spirit does not confess Christ, then there's really no need to go further with that truth claim, right? Do not pass go. Do not quit $200. That truth claim goes directly to jail, right? Automatic fail. Now, there are people who denied Christ, and John refers to them in this passage as antichrists. Now, he uses this term in a general sense, in a sense that means anyone who is against or denies Christ, anyone who is anti-Christ. Right? And this echoes statements that John made earlier in this very letter. In chapter 2, you may recall when Brent was up here preaching a couple weeks ago, he mentioned this passage. Um, But I would just like to remind us of how John describes these antichrists. He describes them in 1 John chapter 2, verses 22-23. He says, Who is the liar... But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Therefore, to deny Jesus is to deny the Father. right? To deny Jesus is to deny God. And thus we know the truth is not in them. Now, As I first encountered this passage, as I was leaving Mormonism, this actually startled me. Kind of scared me. Kind of made me kind of rethink, what was I doing? Because what John is seemingly saying here is we could trust anyone who confesses Christ. And I started to think to myself, like, well, shoot. Mormons confess Christ. Right? If you ask the Mormon, do you believe in Jesus? They would say yes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? They would say yes. Right? And it's in their name. Their full official title of their church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. And so then I began to think about I think, are are Mormons Christians then? Did did I make a mistake of leaving the LDS church? Did I sacrifice the life I had with my family in vain? Those were the thoughts that Came to mind as I first really encountered this verse here. But as we examine this passage in First John a little closer, we're gonna see that John gives us a little bit more to the test. It's not just whether or not you confirm or deny Christ. Right? Because notice how he words it here. He says, again, back in First John chapter 4, verse, uh, I think this is two, maybe one. It says, Every no, no, it's two. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Right? Notice John specifies that the confession should include that Jesus came in the flesh, right? He's emphasizing a point here. Why is he doing that, right? He's specifying this because John is addressing a false teaching known as docetism. That's kind of weird, fancy word, docetism. Took me a while to even learn how to pronounce that, right? Um, Docetism was something that was being taught by these antichrists that he refers to, uh, it's a Gnostic heresy, so we've been hearing a lot about the Gnostics as we've been going through First John. Um, a lot of First John is written as a response to a lot of these Gnostic uh, teachings. And so what Doceticism taught was that Jesus wasn't actually human. Was that he was only God who only appeared to be human. Right? And so his sufferings on the cross weren't real. That they only appeared to be real. Right? That's what Docetism taught. That's the, what John is trying to counter here. He's saying, no, 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 Jesus was in the flesh. He was fully man, right? And as we read scripture, what we see, we see the teaching is that Jesus is fully God and fully man, right? Jesus is fully God and fully man. To deny either of those is to deny Christ and therefore is to be, according to John, an antichrist, Saying that you profess Christ, yet denying fundamental truths about Christ is like having an orange but calling it an apple, right? Now, there may be some similarities between an orange and an apple, right? They're both fruit. They're both kind of round in their shape, right? They could both fit in the palm of your hand. But there are significant differences between... An orange and an apple, right? So much so that you would never distinguish. I mean, you would always distinguish the two, right? If I held up to you right now, an orange and an apple, you'd be able to tell me which one's which, right? Because there are specific characteristics that make an apple an apple that distinguishes itself from an orange. So if I came to you and held up this fruit and told you I have an apple, regardless of how sincere and genuine I may believe that I have an apple, does not change the fact that in reality I am holding an orange. Right? To believe that I am holding an apple right now would be to believe in a lie. To believe that I'm holding an apple would be to believe in a false truth. To believe that I'm holding an apple would be to believe in a false apple. Similarly, there are people who believe in a false Christ. And Jesus gives us a warning about these false Christs. This teaching isn't a a unique teaching of John. He tells us in Matthew 24, verse 24. This is coming from Jesus. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Right. And so what John is really saying here is, what you believe about Jesus matters. The truth that we believe about Jesus matters. Because there were people in John's day, right? these Gnostics, who would confess Christ, right? If you asked one of these Gnostics, do you believe in Jesus? They would have said yes. right? But then if you kind of digged in a little bit more, you would have found out that they just didn't believe that he was fully human. He only appeared to be human. And John calls them Antichrist for denying that. So the question then, this test that John is giving us here, that he's addressing isn't just a confession in Christ. It's a confession of the true Christ. Do you believe in the true Christ? So realizing this, then the question for me became, well, do Mormons proclaim the true Jesus? Well, how can we know? And while you may not be coming from the LDS background, this question is as important to you as it was and is to me. So let me ask you, how do you know that you believe in the true Jesus and not one of these false Christs that we're warned against? The answer to that question will take us to the second test. All right. So we talked about this warning. Don't believe every truth claim that we hear. John gives us a test. Do they deny Christ? If so, they failed the test automatically. Do they confess Christ? If so, do they confess the true Christ? How do we know? This takes us to the second test. All right. Now, as we explore the second test, I want you to ask yourselves, what source do you use to determine truth? How do you determine truth? All right. That's the question I want in the back of your mind as we explore this. All right. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. Verses 5 and 6. All right. So First John chapter 4, verse 5-6, John gives us the second test saying, They, the antichrists, they are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice that John contrasts these Antichrists, these false teachers, false prophets, false spirits. Right? He's making a contrast between the Antichrist and himself and the apostles. Right? The we. Right. So let's focus in on this contrast by looking at the Antichrist first. Right? So John points out that these antichrists, again, that's referring to these false teachers, false prophets, false spirits, these false Christs. And he says that these antichrists are a product of the fallen world. And those who are of the world will find wisdom in their lives. Right? So, how does the world speak? Because it says they speak from the world. How does the world speak? How does the world determine what is true? Well, we use our minds, right? Referring to our human wisdom, our intelligence. Right. Our reasoning, our logic. We use our hearts, right? So based off of our emotions and experiences, right? those things that are very personal to us, right? what we feel is true, and so we derive truth from there. We look at our traditions and look at what people have said in the past to be true, and, and we adopt that as truth. We look at our modern-day culture and see what people are saying today, what is true, and we adopt that as truth. So again, I ask you, what source do you tend to use to determine truth? Your mind, your heart, your traditions, our modern day culture. See, this is what the world uses. And the world will use one of these as their primary source of determining truth. And to be clear, none of these sources are bad, right? It's not evil. God gave us a mind. God gave us a heart. Right? God wants us to learn from each other. None of those are bad. But what's the common theme with all of those? It's, they're all from us. They're all from man. Right? It's all man-centric. Right? It's all from human reasoning or the human heart, ultimately. And I don't know about you, but I know I'm not perfect. I know I've come to wrong conclusions. Anyone ever come to a wrong conclusion before? Anyone ever gotten an answer wrong on a test or anything like that? Right? So... So the problem with those sources of truth is they're just not sufficient to determine truth. Not perfectly. right? They are insufficient sources of truth. Now, they, they can be helpful in a supportive role. But we can't use them as a primary. And if we use, end up using any of those as our primary source of determining truth, then the world is going to catch us in a lie. Because those are the ways the world uses To determine truth. So then that should bring us. Leaves us with the question. Well then. What source should the Christian use. To determine truth. Let's go ahead and look back at our verse here. And listen to how John contrasts. Back in verses five and six. Again he says. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So again, the Antichrists are from the world, right? We just examined that. But what about the apostles? What's the contrast here? See, notice that John is saying to trust in him, but not because he's so smart, right? Not because he's so great, but why? Because he's from God, right? He's one of the apostles, right? And the apostles are the sent out ones from God, right? So he's, he's a messenger of God. So what John is pointing to is, hey, don't just trust what people are saying. Rather, place your trust in what God has said, right? So how do we know what the apostles have said? How, how can we apply this test in our lives now? Well, funny thing is, is they wrote it down, right? It is through Scripture, it is through Scripture that we could look for God's truth, right? Scripture is God's revealed truth to us, right? These truths are here. And it is through Scripture that we can know then the true Christ from the false Christ. But remember while these true, while these are truths that John proclaimed they are not from John. Right? He's just the messenger. He's one of the sent out ones. The truths that John and the other biblical writers proclaimed are from God. Right? Paul explains this in 2 Timothy 3:16. Right? He says all scripture is breathed out by God. That's a pretty big statement. All scripture is breathed out by God, right? The words written in the Bible are from God himself, right? And so throughout time, yes, God used different people to physically write the words and compile the Bible, right? From the prophets of the Old Testament to the apostles of the New Testament. But all scripture has one author and that author is God. Reading scripture is the primary way in which God speaks to us and reveals his truth. These are his very words to us. And when we hear and read scripture, we are hearing God speak into our lives. And we re- when we recognize that scripture is in fact God's word, we could trust it to be perfectly authoritative because God is the Lord of all creation. And we could trust it to be perfectly inerrant, that is to be without error, because God is perfect and God does not lie. So his words are perfect. Therefore, we could trust the truths in Scripture as our highest source of determining truth. Because it is God's revealed truth to us. And I encourage any person who has difficulty in accepting this inerrancy of Scripture, I encourage you to truly, earnestly pray about this topic. And while you pray, ask yourselves, if Scripture is not your supreme source of truth, then what is? What do you hold to be over God's own words? So using scripture, God's word, to determine truth is the second test. Right? We are to use scripture as our measuring stick to examine if the truth claims we hear measure up to God's revealed truth. Right? And we see an excellent example of this in the book of Acts when Paul went to a town called Berea. Right? And let's listen to how the Bereans responded to Paul as he gives his message in the synagogue. It says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, that they, referring to the Bereans, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So notice what's happening here, right? Paul goes and, and says a message, and we see that the Brians here are very accepting of the message, right? It says that they received it with all eagerness. But they didn't just take Paul's word for it, right? They went back to their scriptures and assured that what Paul says measures up to the truth of God. Right? This is an excellent example for us to follow. We should use scripture, the word of God, to verify the truth claims that we hear. Whether that be from me speaking to you right now, I would encourage you, go back to Scripture and make sure I'm not leading you astray. Right. So whether that be from me speaking to you right now, or if an angel were to appear and, and just give you some message, test the spirits. Let's imagine that. What would it be like if an angel just appeared in this room right now? Like, boom, here he is. Right. Imagine he pops in here in beautiful radiance, right? Well, first, I bet we'd all kind of freak out a bit, right? We'd dive under the chair or something, right? But then we'd hear something, right? And the angel would say, you know, fear not. I'm here on the behalf of Christ. And that would be comforting. It's like, oh, okay, all right. And I bet you the experience would be so great and so awesome. Like we would, you know, kind of get out from under the chair and listen to what the angel has to say. And so we listen and the angel goes on to say, I'm here on the behalf of truth. And your scriptures are incomplete, is what this angel tells us. The angel tells us that we've been misinformed and led astray. So let's listen to his complete truth. And he tells us that, yes, Jesus died on the cross for you to make salvation possible. But the work is not done. There is still something you must do to earn and achieve salvation. Jesus just made it possible for you. That's what the angel tells us. This would be such a great experience. I bet many of us would be tempted to kind of disregard what we know and follow this angel. If this angel actually popped in here with all its beauty and radiance, I bet you many of us would be very tempted. to just like, oh man, maybe we got it wrong. And then we go on and tell others about this experience. And our words would be pretty convincing because the experience was real. You know, assuming the angel actually came. Yet, hopefully, we could resist that temptation by remembering some scripture. Right? By remembering some warnings. Such as the one in Galatians where it says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And this was certainly... Contrary to the gospel. Hopefully we remember another warning that scripture tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So the fact that this angel came in all beauty and radiance really is irrelevant. Because that's how Satan disguises himself. So if this were to happen right now, I'm sure the experience would be tempting Right? And we would feel all sorts of emotions about it. But it is my hope that we would remember Scripture over our own experiences and our own emotions. You know, it is my hope that we trust in Scripture over our own mind. When what our logic tells us that Scripture can't be true. That we look at Scripture it's like, no, maybe, maybe something's wrong with our logic here. And we place Scripture to be over- our own ability to understand. Hopefully we could place Scripture over our own traditions anytime our traditions don't measure up to God's revealed truth. Hopefully we could use Scripture anytime our culture begins telling us truth claims that don't measure up to God's revealed truth. Right. Let us always remember that Scripture is the very words of God and therefore our tool... To measure what is true. That's in part why we have it. And what I just described with you with this angel. That's how Mormonism began. Right? Joseph Smith, who's, you know, the founder of Mormonism. Joseph Smith claimed that an angel had visited him. And he told him that Christianity had an incomplete truth. The angel told Joseph Smith. Some, some of those missing elements, and thus the Book of Mormon was written and published. Now, I don't know if Joseph Smith actually met an angel that day, but people believed he did. And people believed that Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and all that is a more complete truth. But here's the thing, even if Joseph Smith, even if Joseph Smith did meet an angel that day, We know that the angel was not from God because that angel taught a different gospel and a different Christ, right? He taught that Jesus' work on the cross was not sufficient to save us, but we need to do some work to contribute to our salvation. He taught that Jesus was created by God, by God the Father, and therefore is a creation. And he taught that God the Father was once man who became God. And the angel even taught that If you're good enough, you could become God too. I don't know, that sounds a bit too similar to the lie the serpent gave to Adam and Eve. The angel clearly taught a different gospel and a different Christ. And thus, according to scripture, should be accursed. Therefore, had Joseph Smith put the angel to the test, the angel would have failed. Now, you may not have an angel come to you. But we all have messengers telling us different truth claims every day. We see it on TV, on the internet, our co-workers, our friends, our family. We must put these truth claims to the test. And we could only do that if we know Scripture. Now, if a daily discipline of daily Scripture reading is something um, that you struggle with, and to be honest, I struggle with that from time to time as well, um, I've Placed out a handout on the back table over here and in the uh, four-year lobby, whatever we actually called it, um, but on a table outside those doors as well, to just as a guide to help us practice a daily scripture reading. So I'd encourage you to look at that. But with this emphasis on the need to read and know scripture, I do want to clarify one thing. Knowing scripture is not just about knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Rather, it should be thought of as a relational endeavor. We spend When we spend time in God's word, we are spending time with God himself. And God reveals himself to us. And we get to know God more from his own words. As we spend time in God's word, we will grow in our relationship with him. See, being a Christian is primarily about glorifying God and enjoying a relationship with him. Therefore, it should be no surprise that scripture reading should be an integral part of our daily Christian life. Now, all this talk about false spirits and false prophets may have us a bit alarmed. And it should, because that's kind of the point of warning, right, is to alarm us. But listen to the encouragement that John gives the church after warning the church. He tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Again, referring to the Antichrist. You have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, we can share in John's confidence that as Christians, we will not be fooled. But not because we're so smart. Rather, because we have Him who is greater living in us, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Right, as Christians, we have God living in us. Isn't I'm just amazed by that. Every time I think about that, right? God dwells in us, guides us. He's our helper, right? And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth, and the Holy Spirit enables us. To understand scripture, right? Without the Holy Spirit, we would read scripture, but we really wouldn't get a lot out of it, right? It's through the Holy Spirit that we can understand the truth of God in scripture. But let me ask you, how do you tell the difference between the convictions of the Holy Spirit between the whispers of those spirits that are not from God? Well, this brings us full circle back to verse 1 now, Right? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Right? We are to test our convictions using the test of Christ. Do they deny Christ? Do they confess Christ, the true Christ? Right? We should use the test of Scripture. Does it measure up to God's revealed truth? When we use these tests, as mentioned in verse 6 here, by this we will know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So... We need the spirit to understand scripture, but we need scripture to test the spirit. Does that sound a bit circular to anyone? All right? Well let me offer you this analogy. Scripture oh, where is it? Ah oh, there it is. It's like a flashlight. Right? Both are used to reveal the truth in front of us. All right, so scripture is like a flashlight. But let me ask you, what good is a flashlight without batteries? Right? Someone trying to read and understand the truth of the Bible without the Holy Spirit is like someone trying to turn on a flashlight without batteries. It just doesn't work. Right? It doesn't matter how often I push this button, it's not going to turn on. Right? The Holy Spirit is like a fresh battery. And just as batteries give power to a flashlight, the Holy Spirit gives power to Scripture. But here's the thing. There are false spirits out there. And they will look like batteries. Right? So false spirits are like dead batteries. They don't actually do anything for the flashlight. So if I had one new battery and I mixed it with these dead batteries, how can I tell the difference? Well, looking at them, I know you can't quite see from where you are, but they all look pretty identical, right? It's not until I place the battery in the flashlight that I'll be able to tell if it works. Probably help if I do this the right way. Right? It's only when I place the battery in the flashlight that I can tell if it's a good battery or a dead battery. Right? And just as you use the flashlight to test the battery, you can use scripture to test the spirit. And just as you need both the flashlight and batteries to reveal light, you need both scripture and the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. So as we examine this text in John, in first John, John made two points. Right. First, he warned us to not believe every truth claim that we hear, to not believe what the spirits in the world tells us, not up front anyway. Rather, we need to test these truth claims. We need to test these truth claims with the test of Christ and the test of Scripture. And it is my hope that you'll take heed to this warning and apply these tests to the truth claims that you currently believe and to all future truth claims that you'll most certainly hear throughout the rest of your life. But you know what? Nothing I've really said up to this point really matters. You might be thinking, like, I don't know, Brian. you've been talking up there for a long time. It's kind of a long time to talk about nothing. But here's the thing. I could provide you a guide on how to get started with scripture reading, right? I could preach to you about why the truth of God matters. But the truth is, you will not truly yearn for the words of Scripture. You will not truly desire the truth of God until you come to know him who is the truth. For Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Jesus is truth incarnate, truth in the flesh. And you will not know truth until you know Christ. So yes, it is my hope that you'll believe in Scripture. It is my hope that you'll want to know truth. It is my hope that you will read Scripture daily. It is my hope that you will appeal to the Word of God as your highest authority of determining what is true. But more important than all of that, it is my hope that you'll know Him who is the truth. Christ, Jesus, He's the center of all Scripture. He's the center of of the gospel. And the gospel is this. That we are all sinners. Right? We are all sinners deserving of death. That have been separated from God. Right? That, that's not the good news. right? That's, but that's a build up to the good news. The good news is though. That Jesus. That God. Became flesh. And he died on the cross. Right? He died on the cross. To redeem us from our captivity to sin. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He died on the cross to cover us with his righteousness. He died on the cross to restore our relationship with God. Right, And we know he did this because he resurrected three days later. Right. And he did this and he gives us and offers us this salvation as a free gift, right? We don't need to earn our salvation, right? We couldn't possibly earn it anyway, but the good news is, is Jesus already did the work on our behalf. If you do not know Christ, I invite you to take a moment now to consider this good news. And I invite you to embrace Christ and the salvation that he freely offers to all who believe. And when you place your faith in the true Christ and embrace his revealed truth and love. And focus on the restored relationship that we have with God. Then we can share in John's assurance that we will not be fooled by the lies of the world. Because then we will be from God. Right? Because then we'll have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And as John says, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, as I conclude, there's one more point I want to make clear. I have shared with you a little bit about my journey for Mormonism. But I am not the hero of my story. All right? I was the one in need of saving, do not consider me brave or wise or strong for leaving the Mormon church? right? Because if I was left to my own strength, my own wisdom, my own courage, I would have never left. Right? I would have never risked my marriage. And I would still be a captive in the lie of the world. right? It was God who called me to him. It was God who put it on my heart to seek the truth. It was God who opened my eyes. It was God who who saved me from my captivity. I was powerless to do any of those things. It was all God. To God be the glory. All I did was ask God a question that he himself drove me to ask. What is truth? And his response was Christ. Right, so I'm about to close this in a word of prayer. Now, I mentioned about my family when we began. Um, So I am still married, for those who might be wondering. Um, But the reason why they are not here, and the reason why many of you have never met my wife and daughter, is because they are still members of the LDS Church. And so before I go into prayer, I would just like to share a prayer request that's on my heart. And if uh, if you guys as a church body could pray with me on this, Um, is that My wife, Catherine, and daughter, Serenity, will come to know the true Christ. All right, right, so let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for you. We're so grateful for your truth and love and just for everything you've given us, Lord. We thank you for the warnings you've given us to help us discern the truth from the lies of the world. We thank you for giving us your Your word, the scriptures, that we may be able to discern from your truth and the lies. Lord, I ask for protection that we may not be fooled by the lies of the world. That we may always trust in you, Lord. Even if it doesn't quite make sense to our own logic or our heart. That we may place our faith and trust in you and your wisdom, Lord. Lord, I pray for all those who have been fooled. And who are currently fooled by a false Christ. Lord, I pray for my wife and my daughter. I pray that you reveal yourself to them. That they may come to know the true Christ. That they may all know who you are and and your love for us, Lord. And that they may embrace you. Lord, I just thank you for this time now. May we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.